Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. This is the podcast that connects with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Renee Taylor is an African-American disabled non-binary trans organizer. She uses the pronouns they and she. Born in Tupelo, Mississippi, her current home base is in Memphis, Tennessee, where they are the assistant program manager at WeCare Tennessee. Renee has been advocating since 2000, traveling around the world on behalf of transgender rights, needs, and visibility. They are an HIV prevention educator and activist associated with many HIV organizations. Renee has also participated in the local Black Lives Matter chapter in Memphis. They're also a national advisory board member of Positively Trans. Renee believes in the right to be sex positive and for reproductive rights that aren't criminalized and stigmatized. A self-professed social justice aficionado, Renee will be one of the keynote speakers at this year's Black Trans Advocacy Coalition, BTAC, conference. Renee, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. I mean, I think it's an especially great honor to be talking to you on the Transgender Day of Visibility because you are living a very visible life, and it's important, you know, because there's so much going on that people say, oh, well, we've got this, we've got that, but you know what, we still have transphobia, we still have people getting killed, we still have attacks on the trans community. So it's important that we have people like you walking the walk and talking the talk. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So... You started out, you, you uh, were born in Mississippi. What took you from Tupelo to Memphis? Well, strangely enough, my father, um, he he buried people every day. So mm. he worked for his uh, company. Have you ever saw a, a burial boat? No. Um, he he um, would do the setup. He would get the vault off of the truck and then the vault over the gray side and never they set the coffin inside of and then they oh, lock it. Mm-hmm. And he did wow. that uh he did that job for forty years. So mm-hmm. um at one point we lived in Memphis and then we moved back to Tupelo and then we moved back to Memphis. So 
I've only ever lived a hundred miles from where I was born. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, that's yeah. nice. I mean, nice. I mean, you have a sense of the community. You know, you know where to where to be, who to meet, where to connect with people. What got you into being into advocacy? Strangely enough, uh, I was living with my I lived with my aunt for a while, and she always was like very supportive. And she was like, "If you're gonna be gay or or, or any of that stuff," she said, "I still love you because you are my sister's child." And mm. I don't care. She said, as long as you don't do nothing to shame us, she said, I'm going to stand with you. So I lived with her. And one time I was um, I was leaving the house, and uh, the apartment manager, he stopped me. He said, I heard you gay. I said, right now, really, I'm questioning because I'm not a practicing anything. I'm not even sexual. Mm-hmm. He said, well. He said, well, you know my wife is white. And he said, at one point, black folks and white folks couldn't marry each other. And people don't still don't believe in interracial marriages. And I said, that's true. And he said, I just want you to know one thing. He said, if your people ever get their rights, the white gays are going to stand up, and they're going to shout from the rooftops, and the black ones are going to be quiet. And he said, I don't want you to ever... Be quiet. He said, I want you to join in and be loud just like them because they're going to reap the benefits of marriage. He said, when marriage comes, they're going to reap the benefits of being married because they spoke out for it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why is this man stopping me and telling me all of this? But it resonated in my ear for years because I I always say in my gender evolution, I was I was feminine, and people always say, "Oh, you just gonna be gay." But I I didn't feel that that was the context I had to relate with because in the South they think feminine is drag, and that's gonna make you gay, and they mis just mis mistake gender identity and gender expression. And mm-hmm. being drag, which I feel like drag is the gateway to to the feminine for some people that are gender expansive, like me. Mm-hmm. So you know, so that's what that was my budding um, start. You know, and that and that is so true because. You're, you know, he told, he spoke truth, truth, you know, because it was. And, and even now there are still people who don't think, although I think that's more accepted interracial couples. But also like what you're saying is, is also true that everyone who does dress, I mean, it isn't trans. And just if you, you know, it's not like, it might be a way to do it, but everybody isn't. And and in fact, I've met cis men who like to do drag because they're cross dressers. And you know, there's this broad spectrum that 
even within the LGBTQ community, and there is a difference between the white and black LGBTQ community, to where they want to put you in a certain box, you know, and figure, oh, well, you must be this, you must be that, you must be be the other. You know, and in your work, are you helping, do you often have to start with that conversation, like, don't put me in a box, I am a person. Um, know me. Actually, actually, if you talk to me about black liberation and getting black folks free, um, mm-hmm. I ask um, the question of who are we talking about? Are we talking about all black folks or are we just talking about um, cishet folks? Mm-hmm. Or are we talking about all black folks? Because in the term of black revolution or black um liberation, we often are questioned, oh, just show up black. And I'm not a Russian doll. Mm. I don't like to compartmentalize my identity to be in mm. community with people who look just like me. But mm. they want you to just show up and be black. And I've had a, a civil rights leader tell me one time at a training I did, he said, why you come up in here with that gender stuff when you just need to be black and we'll work on that gender stuff later on. Mm-hmm. And I was, so, I was so disappointed. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we because... had to end up with ACP conference here, and that's what they did. And it was like, like those of us who were in the queer community, like we had given up our black community, and they, were, they called themselves like, we're letting you in. I said, what do you mean you let me in, you know? Mm. Um, I, 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 um, I hate that colonialism and white supremacy and anti-blackness shows up the way that it shows up in our mm-hmm. work. Um, and I, I'm, I'm always like, who are we getting free? We getting mm-hmm. some of us free, and we gonna get all of us free. And the ones that we do get free, are you going to emulate and also become a oppressor? Mm-hmm. when you get a little power mm-hmm. because a lot of people get into power and they tend to want to replicate systems that oppress themselves. And I, I ask them, are you going to become an oppressor too? I, I often quote, quote um, James Baldwin. You know, we can agree to disagree, but when it comes to my humanity, you're not going to oppress me. Mm-hmm. So I always ask that question when they were, when I go into to spaces. And I love to go into black, started, led, autonomous spaces where we're away from the gaze of, uh, of white supremacy and how white people show up in space and think they're helping us when we need spaces of our own. And that's what B-Tech is to me. Mm-hmm. A space, it's a, it's a boo-boo. It's, it's for us, by us. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, uh, I never feel more affirmed than when I go into a space that's made that way. Mm-hmm. You know, that's for us, by us, and and we don't have to change who we are to be in those spaces. You know, I also, um, strangely for me, I have a strange relationship 
with the um with the word queer. Mm-hmm. Um, I often don't like to label and define myself for the comfort of others. And I know that the the reclamation of the word queer is to be resistant, you know, and show that we took something you called us that was bad and turned it into something that was good, but I still have a strange relationship with it. Mhm. Mhm. You know, I, you know, I hear you. Yeah, you know, and I, you know, I tell you, some of the people, there are people who, you know, if something is going on, who I contact, who always make you feel so right and so loved, and some of them you know. I mean, I mean, one of the ones I I know that. And I believe she introduced me to BTEC, who is Monica Roberts. And oh. and Kyler Brodus and Carter Brown. I can call yeah. them. I can call them and feel like someone who looks and sees me as me. Yes. And I that that's what and as the more that you hear them, them talk, you know, they would talk about BTAC and what was happening. That, you know, that yes. I think of those people, and I think of, of of that that love and that acceptance in part because you know it's like that's the thing, like you know, saying that you are yourself and that and having people understand and, and not being put into a bag, not being put into anything. But before we talk be about that, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, so before we go into that, the work that you're doing in um, Memphis, now I know mm-hmm. you have, a, you are, what is We Care Tennessee? So I'm glad you asked that question. Um, Mm -hmm. We Care Tennessee is an organization started by Jasmine Tosaki, who is a black trans woman that used to do sex work. So what we are is an organization that uh, our main demographic is black trans people and women that do sex work and use drugs, and we use a harm reduction strategy to to work with our clients. So that's what We Care Tennessee is. Mm-hmm. It's a trans-led organization um, for people that are former and current sex workers and people who use drugs. Mm-hmm. Now, you so, know, mm-hmm. do you see, I mean, and I know how important it is because there's a lot of trans organizations but often, I mean, we had a, a conference here, and I noticed it was, you know, I, I walked through and it was mostly, you know, white trans women. And their invitation to the black trans community is like, well, if they want to get a resume so that they can start to to get a real job and get off of that, you know, like putting putting people down where they mm-hmm. didn't acknowledge the privilege that they had 
as white trans women, many of whom, when they decided to transition, when they said, you know, I'm, I, you know, I've done it long enough, had jobs, had health care, had degrees, had money, oh, but there was a way that they looked down at that they didn't invite the black trans, particularly women, mm-hmm. in because it was like, well, if they want to get a a job and we'll help them do resumes, we can help them with their clothes. And it's like, how you got stigmatize someone who, other than the color of their skin, is just like you, but who has not had the privilege to be in the position that you are and not address the fact that if you are a sex worker, if you're a black trans sex worker, first of all, there's economic situations that put you in there. Then you can be victimized and criminalized for living. Yes, pretty much so. And what we do at Recur Tennessee is we meet people where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't, and what we do is we do have programming. And our programming is toward empowerment and helping people, if they do want to stop doing sex work, uh, finding safer ways to to meet their needs. So Mm -hmm. what we require a lot of time is um, we want an action plan. What are your plans for the future? We have to know where you're trying to go so we can help you get there. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, Often, you you also have to remember, too, that um, the average age of a trans person in the United States is is in their 40s. Mm-hmm. So, yes, they're well established in their life by the time they decide to transition. And you're right. They have degrees. They have education. They have a level of privilege that a lot of black trans folks don't have because, actually, black trans folks tend to come out younger. Mm-hmm. And we may be disowned by families and uh, everything else may have to uh, do uh, survival sex work. Um, but we are often living in the gender that uh, I, we agree with. But uh, we don't we don't look down on our clients and, and everything like that because um, we're going to work with you where you are. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be seen and you're going to be affirmed. And we're not going to – we're not – that's not what the work we're trying to do. And we're represented by, we're represented by black trans folks, mm-hmm. which is highly important to see people that look just like you in um, positions of power. Mm-hmm. It's certainly, I mean, really, you know, you, you want to see, you know, often they talk about having a seat at the table, but if you have, you know that, you know, your seat is at, hey, you know how how back when you were a kid there was the grown-ups table and the children's table? If your seat is at the children's oh, table, you know, it don't feel quite you're, the same. If you're not, <laughs> and uh, I always say, if you ain't at the table, you're on the menu. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And a lot of, uh, of times trans representation is tokenized and, um, we're invited to stuff to be like, oh, we're uh, we're very diverse. You know, Renee's here. <laughs> but 
you know, if they can get one there, they're like, we're very diverse, you know. Um, we did the work to get this one trans person here. Now, if a bunch of us show up, they're going to say, now, look at these folks. they taking over. <laughs> they don't want that. Uh-huh. <laughs> but that's how it is a lot of times. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love how 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 you are. I mean, I can see if you walk in the room, and nobody go, you know, say, okay, well, look, we've got one. You're going to say, yeah, you got one, <laughs> you know. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, you are, you are nobody's token. And I like that because you do your advocacy, but you bring so many things. You know, we talk about living in the intersection. There's often the part, and, you know, you also represent the disability rights community. And sometimes in the the bigger LGBTQ community, you know, they don't want to hear about it if you're black, if you're trans, and don't be disabled. There's no place. There's no place. Yeah. Yeah. It can be very ableist. Mm-hmm. Um, because, all, like, all disabilities are not visible. And I have a lot of people that sometimes ask me, how are you disabled? And that, that's even worse to mm-hmm. be asked how you're disabled and explain it. Um, I, I'll, just like I said, all disabilities aren't, of, um, aren't visible. Mm-hmm. Because with, with me, I'm neurodivergent, among other things. Um, like, a lot of people don't understand uh, that neurodivergent people can be very task-driven, and the way we think is, uh, you know, um, not like a lot of people that may not be neurodivergent. We, the way we think is uh, very task-driven, and we could be hyper-focused on one thing until we get that done. So a lot of people don't understand that. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a very good friend who has lupus, and um, like she said, like, if she'll go in and some days she'll go into the store, some days she's fine. Some days she'll need to use that cart or she'll need to park in it. And she's had people say, like, well, you don't look disabled. What is wrong with you? Okay. That's not their business. Right. And it's like, again, another stigma, like they have in their mind that, okay, well, you have to be unable to do for yourself. And what I love about her, she said she is not disabled. She's differently abled. She has to find a okay. different many things. And yeah. I imagine especially people look at you and you, they go like, wow, she's traveled, she speaks out, you know, yeah. and I said, she doesn't look disabled, you know, and, and do you find that, do you get that a lot? You know, like, well, how are you disabled? Or then once when they recognize that you are disabled, but they suddenly want to treat you like, well, you can't do anything for yourself, or, that, or you really need extra help, you can't totally do that? Yeah, I get a lot of that. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, the comedy part of it is every time somebody finds out that you, aden- that you identify as disabled and that you actually are disabled, that's when they feel like you're, like, you can't do stuff for yourself, like you're broken down. Like, you're mm-hmm. just going to fall apart once they find out you're disabled. Um, like, just like you said, I have a cane some, that I use 
<clears throat> but I don't I don't use it a lot. I have I have good days and I have bad days with my motor my motorability, um, how I get around and um just just like um last year I attended the National Trans March for the very first time and I was trying to figure out if I should if I should participate in the march as far as walking because walking a lot wears me out. But I actually went on and walked. And I was worn out by the time we turned around <laughs> and went back, but I was so glad that I was able to be there. And, um, you know, I was a little worn out when I got back to the end, but I was grateful to be there, uh, even with my my mobility issues and everything. I was glad to be there. Um, and it was my first one. I hope to be there in New York. Um, mm-hmm. when they have it this uh this next time. I mean, you are I mean you there are so many people who would, would look at you and they would go like, Well, she's black, okay, well you know, we get discriminated because we're black, okay. That's your right. trans. You know, you've got a disability and all that when you are invited to something, how do you determine which you is going to show up, or how, or do you use it as okay? Once the door is open, you bring all of it and say, "Oh, by the way, you know, you aren't thinking about making this accessible. You aren't seeing the contradictions between the white LGBTQ community and the black community, and how there's this inherent racism that still exists. I mean, how do you determine which one?" which voice you're going to bring. You know, I know you don't want to say, you know, you don't want to wear them out, you know, but they need to be made aware of all of these things that you um, bring. Actually, I have, uh, there was a guy here, um, he gave me a nickname, and he said, whoo, here comes that radical Renee. <laughs> and it was a white guy. He called, he called me radical Renee. Because I will call out white supremacy, white privilege. I do not miss words with people. I will tell you that you tokenizing people. I do not. I don't. I some people. Sometimes I have people tell me, "Oh, you don't have a filter." Because some of the stuff you say, and I just like, you know what? I'm just being honest. And if you can't handle it, oh well. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just like I told you. Um, we have to imagine and also recognize how anti-blackness, white supremacy, and all of these things show up in the spaces that we go into as black trans people. We have to we have to only recognize that that's how a lot of people show up and they have the Messiah complex. They feel like they're saving us by inviting us into stuff when we already have leadership. Just let us lead. You know what I'm saying? And 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 trust black people to be able to lead for themselves. Now, on whose shoulders do you feel you stand? You know, to continue the work. Who has inspired you to do the work that you do? Um, people like the ones you mentioned are. Mm-hmm. Are uh, the Carter Browns, the uh, 
the uh, Kyler Brodis, uh, woo, Miss Monica Roberts, Miss mm-hmm. Major, uh, mm-hmm. Sylvia Rivera, uh, Marsha P. Don't pay it no mind, Johnson. You know uh, those to have that are still here and also have became ancestors. Those are the ones who walked so we could run. So mm-hmm. I stand on the shoulders of those people that that was like screaming at the top of their voices and throwing the first brick of this thing that we call liberation. Those are the people whose stories need to be told and raised up. That we got fed up and get tired of treated a certain type of way, and we came out and spoke up. Those are the people whose shoulders I stand on. Those people of color that may not be recognized, that often is erased from the history of what this gay modern movement looks like, trans elders. No you know what yeah you know and that's so important you know we have here the Ruth Ellis Center who is named after Ruth Ellis was a lesbian she was black um I think she died she was over 100 most of the people who I served are black there's many young trans people who I served but most of the people who run the organization are not black or brown Okay, and once I was up there and there was a young trans sister who was like in her 20s who not only, she said like she knew that the building was named after something, but it was when she was in there she finally saw a plaque. And she was like, oh, this is this black woman. But then many of the people, and I'll tell you, I was trying so hard prior to her passing to have Monica Roberts come in because, like, here was this elder to sort of see that, that first of all, like, most of the girls who are out at Ruth Ellis think, like, well, we're not going to live that long. But here was this purpose-lived life. And here was this person. Do you find that are there the young black trans community, I mean, they have a lot more visibility. They have, like, one of them said, well, we're on TV now, you know. But. It's more than that. Do you see that there's still that fire going on to fight the fight? Yes, of course. Um, um, I don't know where that that statistic come from, that the average age of a black trans woman is 35 years old. But Mm -hmm. I, I, I would like to raise that up and also realize that, hey, we do age. And we do get older, and it does get better, but we still got to fight because every year it seems like it's particularly more violent than the year before for black and brown mm-hmm. trans folks, especially mm-hmm. on, like, day, no, T-door days, and we have to read mm-hmm. all those names. And mm-hmm. it, it's hard to be, you know, you have to find joy in your existence to also know that people don't want you to exist, but you still exist anyway. And you have to find joy in that and happiness in that and also still fight a good fight and still go out and hold your head up and let the world know, yes, we exist. We always have existed. We always have had gender expansive people that existed 
before colonialism, uh, we were recognized, we were shamans, we were honored, and we mm-hmm. still have to raise that up, that colonialism and white supremacy and how it shows up and how anti-blackness shows up in this work, but we still got to find joy and honor our elders and let them know we see you, you are loved, you are cherished, you are revered, and um, still fight a good fight. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, and it's so. I mean, and and to lift up to write. I mean, lift up all the images. I look at. I'll tell you, the first time I saw Carter, and we were at a creating change, and he was showing this this um, film, and and then he was talking about his daughter. I mean, and in fact, it was so sweet because he talking about like the first. I think I think she was like going into first grade. And he was talking about the fears that he felt, and, you know, and he took her to the door, and he, she said, I've got this, you know, Dad, you don't have to hold my hand anymore. And he talked about parenting. And it was like, I was like, you know, more people need to listen to him talk about parenting. Parenting isn't, you know, what you're born with. It's who you are. It's what you're yeah. born as. And now you see people um, who I know who are, are raising families, and they're they're changing the ideal about who can carry a child, who can give birth to mm-hmm. it, and who are the parents of it. And some of these are much, you know, you look at it, and then you look at the news, okay, where, you know, you see all of these things and these images, you know, that, that yeah. I mean, you have an order where they have, what is that, don't say gay, and they're, they're really yeah. trans. Unfortunately, with this um, this shooting in Nashville, one of the first things that um, I heard this newscaster say was, and they identified as trans. And I'm going like, okay, they could have identified as a little green man from Mars, but the issue is guns and having access to them. And he went in, and the person went in there and shot up and killed these kids. And that, and, and we aren't doing anything about gun control, but you want to continue to persecute and, you know, you know, gay and trans. I mean, they brought that up. That was the first thing out of this out of this guy's mouth. And I'm going like, oh, yeah. So no one's going to open the door to more trans attacks in the work that you see. And I know that many people think, and we have come a long way. I mean, we've got a lot of people in different positions. Um, mm-hmm but many of them aren't black. You know, I talked to Kyler not that long ago, and why Kyler isn't in a certain position at this point in time because of his experience and his knowledge is beyond me. You know, he's one of the wisest people I know. But in this day and age, legislatively, what role do you do you see that you have to, to play or where do you see the next place for you to speak up, speak out as far as legislative, not only just in Tennessee, but nationally? Um, I I believe in policy, mm-hmm. and I believe in uh, the, political, uh, the, the political engagement of getting people out to vote, not just in um, the presidential election. We need to recognize our local um, my, our local people and let them know that we do have political power as trans folks, as 
as uh, LGBTQIA people is that we vote and we do have families and we have to show them a different um, what what they what they believe or what they are taught is completely different. And I I appreciate it that you raised up um, reproductive justice and what you know going against what is the Western Western prescribed uh, what parents and what families look like. We have to uh-huh. dismantle that and let them show that what a loving family looks like that is beyond the one male, one female, two point, you know, 1.2 children and a dog and a picket fence. We have to show them that uh, people exist beyond that and that, yes, we are families, and this is what this family looks like. It may be different, but we want the same things that you want, and we have to let them see our humanity even though we're not being treated humane. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that um, also bringing more, uh, more, we need to be more politicized, um, and we need to have more trans politicians and trans senators and everything else. We need to raise up trans folks and let them get into office so we can show that we exist just like cis folks. Mm-hmm. And we're not well, asking for anything special. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one of the last conversations that I had with Monica, which I would say was maybe like two weeks before her passing, was we were talking about politics, and she was like, you know, I might have to take this jump, you know, because she was there. She was very political. She showed up many places. Like if you look at Kyla, Kyla has testified before the Senate. I know that Tracy McDaniel has been to D.C., but it's like we have to be there to do it and to talk about our families. And, you know, if you change your mind about families, if you acknowledge that our family are these two loving parents raising children, maybe then you'll get to the point where when a child is born, you don't look at what's between their legs and say, oh, this is how they're supposed to act, walk, and talk. I mean, you know, it's it's like a, it's all connected, and it's like a moving us to be more human when we can recognize and acknowledge the totality of our humanity. Yes, I think that... Um the approach of recognizing people as whole beings mm-hmm. is is more important in not understanding us as like uh, chopping us into little pieces and putting us into little box just to be recognized. Um, I feel like a lot of people don't want to be uncomfortable. They need to lean into that discomfort to understand that everybody does not fit into the box, and that's okay. That is absolutely okay. It's not, you know. I say, and this is a this is a uh, is a Reneeism. It is not a prerequisite for you to understand me, to be able to accept me. Mm. You don't have to, you don't have to understand it to accept it. Just let it be. Mm-hmm. That's what I say. A Reneeism. Don't you don't have to understand that. You ain't got to like it, but just just accept me, and that's okay. I don't I don't I don't want to be understood. I want understanding. 
Two different things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, I'm just, yeah. So that I think dismantling what is a West, Western prescribed family and understanding that family is a, uh, is is just a word. It's just the, you know, people. People like coming together and raising children and having homes and um, being everything that's supposed to be America. Mhm. Mhm. Hey, and yeah. you know, and, and and you know, which is another conversation because we know that globally, and you know, and like you said, there are, are part of different global societies, there have always been people who were too spirited, who were trans, who were like that. And then as we sort of try to westernize everybody, suddenly we are demonizing them and attacking them. You know, and you see what's happening in Africa. I mean, it's just like crazy, you know, where yeah. but it's Western westernization coming over. But, you know, you and I could probably talk about this forever. But I, I want to talk in the time that we have. A, how did you first get involved with BTAC? Um, ironically, I was, um, I joined the community page. And mm-hmm. one of my uh, trans guy, trans masculine friends had been. He was like, you really need to go to BTAC. And I joined the community page. And at some point, I hit Carter up, and I was like, um, there's some inappropriate things on the page. Um, I think you might need to want to take that down. And he was like, thank you. And at some point, I began to administrate the community group. <laughs> to anything I, <laughs> I did. I started to administrate the community group, and I would remove anything that I felt did not agree with what black trans advocacy was about. Even before I attended the first conference, I was moderating the community page, mm-hmm. the community group. And mm-hmm. I worked for an organization doing HIV prevention. And I had won an award. You know, actually, that, co- that person, that organization, uh, sent me to my first VTAC. I had never flown or anything. Um, actually, I rode the bus to BTAC uh, that first year. And mm-hmm. after my first year, I became more deeply connected. And I came, they flew me back. And it was my first time flying. They flew me back to Dallas. And I was on their uh, community board of people they flew back after the conference to talk about the conference. And I became more involved. And I uh, also began to chair the health committee at one point, and I would help uh, wrangle people to get HIV tested um, at VTEC. Um, so that's how I started involvement, and they gave me my first opportunity to present my my work at a conference. How did that feel? I mean, somebody like you said how you had always, you know, not been within 100 miles of where you had, had been born, you know, and suddenly, you know, first you took the bus there, and then they're flying you there, and, you know, 
did you have a moment where you're going like, girl, what, you, what am I fixing to get myself into? I'm going to go all the way over no. here. No. No. I never, I never felt more seen than when they let me, they let me present my, my work, which I have been writing presentations and feeding people information, and I couldn't present my own work. Mm-hmm. And they let me. They was like, no, you're going to present your work at our conference. And I talked about HIV prevention and um, how the socioeconomics of being trans puts you at more risk of uh, catching HIV and how do we change that. You know, those, those the struggle to survive, doing safe work and stuff like that. So I talked about that in my presentation. And they gave me the first opportunity to present my work to a broader audience. And I really love them for that. Mm-hmm. And you ain't you if you haven't if you've been if you haven't not been to B Tech and you haven't got one of them SB hugs and kisses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> SB, that's SB, that that hug and kiss. If you mm-hmm. ain't been to B you missing something because that hug and kiss is so warm, so welcoming. That SB hug and kiss, mm-hmm. and just you know, yeah. just being loved, affirmed, and seen mm-hmm. is the most powerful thing. Is when people tell you that I see the greatness in you. I am going to mentor that. You are a leader. And as a person that was never, I was like never asked what I wanted to be in a broader sense. And they kind of were like, you know, you're a leader. You can, you know, I never was inspired to, to think I was a leader. You know what I'm saying? I, they gave me that. They was like, we see you. We see your leadership. We see what you're doing. You know, they lifted that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because and I love them talk- for that. Uh-huh. And then listening to you talk, you were, you were a leader, but sometimes people don't recognize your leadership because it's like, okay, this is the job that needs to be done. This is the problem that needs to be addressed. And you just rolled up your sleeves and got jumped in there and were doing it and, and speaking out about it. But you were a leader, and I can see how to have people recognize, like, you know, she doesn't need to be in the back of the room encouraging others. She needs to be in the front of the room, not only educating but showing, being that example for those who future leaders. And, you know, I was given a trail the first year I came. I didn't even know I was getting an award. I got a trailblazer reward, and I cried like a baby because I was not expected <laughs> to get nothing. And when I got that award that said Renee Taylor Trailblazer, you you could have stuck the pen in me because I was done. Mm-hmm, <laughs> I, I cried, I cried. And this was like, I just I was just like so happy. I had just cried, and I wasn't even expecting to get a trailblazer award. And it is one of the things that I, like, really cherish uh, for them, mm-hmm. just them recognizing the leadership that I already, like you said, 
that I had the abilities. I just needed to be lifted up and um, encouraged. And they gave me that. Mhm. Wow. Yes. Uh, that is, that is rough. Okay, so you went the first time on the bus. The next time you flew. Do you know? I mean, yeah. have you had people who had, who came and they said, "You know what? Interacting with you, seeing you there, made me decide I needed to go." Or have you even had people from uh, back in in Memphis sort of say, "How do we get? How do we become a part of this and go to go to show up at BTAC?" Yeah, because I um, the next time I went. Um, one of one of the other times I've, I've been almost every year since 2012, uh-huh. and uh, the next one time I traveled with a group of folks on the bus. They were all from Memphis, and they were not all trans folks. They were gender non-conforming cis people and uh, a couple of trans folks, and we all uh-huh. rode the bus from Memphis. It was about six or seven of us that attended the conference, and they had started coming every year. After that, we rode the bus. Um, we rode the Greyhound. We rode Megabus, and the group started out small and got bigger and bigger and bigger. So um, I've had a lot of people that, um, and, you know, they also have, they had a new segment of uh, BTEC. It used to be just the trans masculine and the trans feminine. Uh-huh. And then they, because of me being there, and them recognizing that I was non-binary, they uh, started BTMX for the gender non-performing folks. So uh-huh. that is the segment that I'm speaking of when I do my keynote. That's what I was going to ask you. You know, and I think that that's, that's great. I mean, it also shows how we're evolving as a community that we're recognizing that other people are going to, are evolving. You started helping them bring that aspect into the conference. What was it? I mean, did you say, did they come to you and say, no, it's time now that we need you to get up there and you're the keynote? Um, what was your feelings when you when you were asked to do that? Um. It was, I was shocked but elated that I was able to be able to accept it and also give people a little bit of inspiration to see somebody like me that's gender nonconforming, gender expansive, um, giving a keynote at a trans uh, conference. Uh, and I was not the first one to do it, but I am so grateful that they asked me to be the keynote this year. Um, mm-hmm. And I have words of wisdom that I want to share with the community at home. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, because I remember I saw that, that you were going to be it, and there was something that you had put in the post, and it was like, that's cool, you know, because it sounded like you you could see that how happy you were about doing it, even though it's like not new, but it, it was your voice. It was you doing it. That is, I mean, I, you know what? I am proud of you. You know, I am proud of you. Thank you. Yeah, when you were back there, I mean, did you ever think that this this 
precious child from Tupelo, Mississippi, would go on to be working and doing the work that you're doing in Tennessee, you know, speaking your truth at conferences. I know that uh, I was reading where you said you have traveled about talking on these issues and do that. You know, do you ever look back and say, like, who would have thought it? I always am overwhelmed um, by people that I I was at a party one time and this person came to me and they were like, you don't know what it means to me to see you out representing and being authentic with yourself and helping other people um, be able to be more themselves and talking about, I, 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 you inspire me. And I was like, you, you, when people tell me that, it always makes me like cry because I'm like, mm-hmm. really? I, you know, you know, when you just think that you just passing along and here comes somebody that says, I am inspired because I just see you existing. And I am glad that you are out existing. It gives me the strength to go out and do the same thing you're doing. Mm-hmm. And that, because that, I always say, I, I aspire to inspire through my words, action, and deeds. Mm-hmm. And I'm not looking for fame. I'm just looking to be able to pay some bills and speak <laughs> the truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, that's, and that's all I'm about. And, you know, it's funny how often your parents tell you something and you don't think about it, you know, as you're about living your life. But, you know, you opened up talking about how your mother said how she would love you. Just don't do anything. And, and you know what? Uh-huh. Your aunt, yeah. You, you're how, I'm sorry. I said, I said to my amateur aunt, that's how you open. Like, uh-huh. like I'm going to love you, you know, no matter. Just don't do. And guess what? You have... I mean, if anything, you have exceeded anything. It's like something to make someone your that your biological aunt to go like, wow, you know, to be you live yeah. up to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you can, if the funny thing is, you can go on Google and Google Renee Taylor and put transgender with it, and my videos and articles and stuff come up because I'm mm-hmm. a I'm a published writer also. Mhm. And I'm just shocked at what you can find, <laughs> what you can find when you Google Renee Taylor. You see mm-hmm. all the things and all the things I've been doing all these years, and it's and people can recognize that. Mhm. And the thing, I come from Tupelo, Mississippi. Mhm. Mhm. That's amazing. What do you see your next your next challenge? Your next thing that is it more writing, more speaking, just continuing to do as you are? What what's the next chapter for for Renee? Um, I am always trying to figure out is there more that I can do to be in community with people? Um so just like you said, I think I want to keep on doing what I've been doing and just keep writing, speaking, and trying to show up in spaces and dragging people along with me. And, you know, I never really travel alone. 
I always am pulling. If I get a seat at the table, I'm there to flip that table. I'm going to drag some folks into this activist with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm going to continue. I'm going to continue to be a capacity for other GNC and trans folks to come and have a seat at the table so we can flip it. Thank you. You know, that's what I tell people. You know, what? make sure that you get a seat at the table, and if it's not a seat, bring another, bring your own chair, then bring in the card table so some more people can come in, and maybe we'll have to sit on the floor. But, you know, would you, when you get in there, make sure that you bring, every, you know, make space for the others so that pretty soon we are also part of planning what's the menu that's on that table. You know, yes, that's our menu. But I always say, when there is a table, it denotes ownership, and people need to mm-hmm. understand the ownership of having a table. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. So BTAC is in April. I want to say it's the 25th. Through the 30th. Through the 30th. Um. If someone is on the fence deciding, you know, should I go, should I try and go to this, what would you tell them? I would say, come on, it's year 10. It's going to be lit. This is 2023. Mm -hmm. And if you can't make it this year, definitely try to make it for 2024. If the Lord is willing, I'm going to be there cheering whoever come on, and I'm going to enjoy the, the family day. I'm going to enjoy the talent show. I'm going to enjoy the palace, the uh, the pageant. I am going to be there for all of it. Um, if the Lord is willing, because I'll be 49, I just turned 48, um, March 11th. I just tell them, if you can make it this year, come on. If you, if not, plan for next year. Well, I believe it's going to be lit. Mm-hmm. Thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, in the pictures, the family day, I mean, I, uh, that hug from Espy to talk with Carter and meet other people, I mean, from across the country, you know, take the bus, take a car, however, if you can get there, get there, and mark it on your calendar for this year, for next year, because you're going to want to be there. You're going to want to be in community in family and fellowship. And it is I it, always it, say if if you're trying to find your tribe, you're trying to find that community, this is the space. If you're black and brown, come on in the room. All right. All right. You are welcome. Mhm. Well when you are seen. Yeah. I w I wanna thank you for, for being my guest. I would like to already extend an invitation to you to come back to talk more about, I mean, we just, we just touched the surface of Reneeism, you know, and yes. I would love to have you come back. Um, so I'm extending the invitation. I want you to, I will be with you in spirit at BTEC. And I'm going to tell you, one other year when I was supposed to come, and I don't you know, what is it about springtime and me getting here? But I wasn't able to go. And all of a sudden in the mail, 
here was this box. And I got one of those plaques. And it is something that I put, it's one of my prized possessions. And um, so I want you to go down there and you be lit for me. <laughs> oh, I am. Mm-hmm. I and am. I'm going to be watching for the pictures, you know. I'm going to be watching for the pictures to see how you guys did it. But thank you so much. Like I said, the invitation is out there. Um, I want to learn more. I'm, you know, him be deeper in conversation. Talk about those Reneeisms. Talk about what we still need to do because, you know, the work is not done until we are all free and equal and loved just for who we are, the work's not done. So, Renee, thank you. You're very welcome, and I appreciate you asking me, and I would love, 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 love to talk some more with you. Well, you know, you got me. (laughs) (laughs) You got got me, you know, and I mean – there's a connection that I feel, and, you know, I am just honored to, to have had this opportunity. So I want you to enjoy your weekend. Thank you for being visible on this this Transgender Day of Visibility. Thank you for the work you do in the community, and I will talk to you in the near future. I want to thank my guest, Renee Taylor an African-American, disabled, non-binary, trans organizer. Renee has been advocating since 2000, traveling around the world on behalf of transgender rights, needs, and visibility. A self-professed social justice aficionado, Renee will be one of the keynote speakers at this year's Black Trans Advocacy Coalition, BTAC, conference in Dallas, Texas, being held April 25th through 30th. You can support Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio by following on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and or becoming a monthly supporter on Patreon.com. Current and past episodes of the show can be heard on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Stay tuned as we continue to introduce you to more amazing individuals living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening. <laughs>